Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Damien Christoph and Dr. Brett Hill. This episode of the Wellness Guys is brought to you by the all-new Sprouted Forage Cereal Breakfast Range. Did you know that when you sprout your nuts and your seeds, you can access more of the nutrition? Well, now you do. To find out more, visit www.foragecereal.com. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. This is Damien. And this is Brett. Brett-o, there's been some groundbreaking uh, publication of some scientific information that's uh, made it to the local papers uh, here in Australia. It's made it to the uh, the mainstream news. Um, so we're talking ABC uh, and yep. one of Australia's most recognised um, doctors, Dr. Rosemary Stanton, uh, has got on and, and written a, a great piece about um, a, a publication put out by the Lancet, which is a a, um, a, mag- a magazine, and uh, the magazine they put together pulled together a commission called the EAT Lancet Commission, the Eat Lancet Commission. And what they've done is they've reviewed or they've looked at scientific papers that uh, that deal with health, nutrition, agriculture, environmental sciences, and political sciences. And what they've done is they've gone through to try and understand the impact of all of these things um, and looking at our current diet and our current nutritional requirements from the resources of the planet and then worked out that it's not working and they've given us some um, indication of what we should be doing moving uh, forward into the future and what a 21st century diet might actually look like if we're to save the planet. And I thought it would be good for us to talk about this today. Well, yeah, it's a fascinating one to chat about, Tom. It was published January 16th, so it's only been out as we sit here and speak for 11 days, and uh, and it's probably worth us saying that we haven't had the chance or the time yet to to really delve in and to really crack into the finer minutia of how they went about assessing these things because it's a, it's a Herculean task they've really undertook here, which is to look at um, all different fields of science and try and piece them all together. You know, when you're looking at human health, you know, that is in and and of itself a very complicated area. And we struggle at the best of times to come up with what is the best solution for human health. But then when you start putting into it things like, um, you know, climate change, the health of the planet, um, Mm. politics, I mean, gee, these are some massive, massive areas that we are trying to uh, lump together into one paper and one recommendation it is a herculean task and uh, as i said you know we're looking at it for the first time really now i've had a little bit of a look at it previously but we we haven't gone through it in the level of detail we would like to um, Mm. and we do plan on doing that this week and and coming back with even more detail next week but but we thought it was just you know at first blush and because this is something that is so topical at the moment there are lots of people talking about it um, you know, there has been a little bit in the media demo, as you mentioned, but I've seen even more people talking about it online because it seems like people who are passionate about their particular approach to eating or their particular approach to health have found some of the recommendations in this a little bit challenging and have already been talking about it a lot. So let's get into it, Damon. Let's have a bit of a chat about some of the recommendations that are there because there's some interesting ones there. Well, I'd love to. I think let's uh, also explore where where this all stems from. So. Obviously, as the world gets bigger um, or smaller, whichever way you want to look at it, there's more and more people. The population is expanding at a rate of knots. And the population, uh, according to this report, is projected to increase to 10 billion by 2050. 
that's a lot of people um, on the planet. So we're talking um, a lot of mouths to feed. Uh, it's very difficult for us to understand how many people that actually is living in Australia where we've just clocked over 26 million people. Uh, congratulations, Aussies. Uh, and happy Australia Day too, Brett. Um, even though yes. um, it's a contentious day that it's being celebrated on, I think, I think it's a great thing to remember that uh, we should be celebrating being Australians, regardless of where you're from and uh, and what your heritage is or your culture is. I think it's a wonderful thing to be an Australian and we should be proud of it. I, I wonder, and maybe this is something else that we could discuss under the banner of mental health, could we mm. change the date of Australia Day and would that help many people? Um Good, good discussion. That's a great discussion, yeah. Damon. Yeah. And I reckon next week yes. or the week after, that would be, be a good. good. I, I would love to have that discussion because I think that's an important one. And me too. Uh, me too. Happily, so let's, uh, do let's do that. Yep. But uh, so hard for us to understand how many people one billion people is. Now I, I don't know what the world population is at the moment. Is it like six billion or five billion? I don't know. Maybe seven billion. But it's going to be ten billion by twenty fifty. And this is what they say today. Food is a defining challenge of humanity by contributing to both poor health outcomes and severe environmental degradation, increasing food demand and the adoption of unhealthy diets, including persistent hunger, generalized overconsumption, as well as our overconsumption of unhealthy foods leads to incredible strains on public health and has severe consequences on natural resources and the environment. As it stands, the global food system cannot meet the nutritional demands of a growing world that is of population projected to increase to 10 billion by 2050 without irreversibly damaging the planet. This is the opening statement um, of why is this diet good for both my health mm. and the environment. So uh, can we just dissect that opening um, paragraph, please, Brother? Um, just because there's a few things that it talks about there. So as it, as it says here, Today, food is a defining challenge of humanity by contributing to both poor health outcomes and severe environmental degradation. So, yes. when I think yes. about poor health outcomes, I'm not thinking about meat, a nice portion of meat and five or six or seven vegetables on my plate and seeing that as a poor healthy, a poor health diet. Like, I, when I hear about poor health outcomes, I'm thinking deep fried potatoes, I'm thinking burgers with, you know, two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Poor health. Yeah, I, absolutely. Right, I, I think if, if you're fundamentally wanting to improve the health of our society, um, then meat, regardless, I think, of what your bent, particular bent is in terms of which diet you like to follow, uh, whether you're vegan, whether you're vegetarian, whether you're paleo, whether you're keto, whichever one it is, I'm not sure that any of those groups of people would sit down and think meat is the first point of call that we need to correct if we want to make the most you know, dramatic changes to the health of our society and the people around us. I, I just think there are far bigger issues um, that we need to be looking at, as you said, in terms of food quality, in terms of processing of our food, in terms of additives, chemicals, preservatives, so much stuff. I, I think I look at this, you know, as quite a divisive way of going about doing it. You know, I think there are other people who are, you know, suggesting much more inclusive ways of doing it and looking for the things that perhaps all the people that do all of those different diets, many of them who do so very healthily in each of those camps. You know, maybe we should be looking at what is common about those diets, not delving straight into what's different about those diets. 
All right. Well, I think you've jumped the gun just a little bit by going straight to meat. So let's just back up a little. Let's just take a few steps back. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, this has charged you up a little bit, Brodo, which I really love. And I think that uh, we'll we'll we'll, un- we'll unravel all of that. We'll dissect it. We'll digest it, so to speak, and uh, hopefully have you feeling a little bit better. So yeah. it says here, increasing food demand and the adoption of unhealthy diets, including persistent hunger, generalized overconsumption, as well as overconsumption of unhealthy foods, leads to an incredible strain on public health. So when we talk about this strain on public health, we're talking diabetes, obesity, certain types of cancer. Um, interestingly, there's been too many people hospitalized uh, this week for sunburn, which, which is interesting. So that's a big drain on public health. Uh, but we're talking about food. And so what we're saying here is that there are some groups of or some countries that are eating far too much food. Uh, and there are some countries that don't get access to enough food. And so there's a, um, a resource uh, division split uh, inequality mm. uh, where uh, some countries aren't getting enough to feed their population. Other countries are getting... Um, oversupply and being quite wasteful, and we see that where there's obesity. But one of the things that um, I think there's some key lines in here, and one is unhealthy diet. So in order to classify an unhealthy diet, you've first got to classify what a healthy diet is. And then what this report does is it then goes on to determine or to state what the commission believes. And the commission is made up of over 30 uh, scientists um, who have come together to review all the data and then they've decided on what they see as being a healthy diet for the planet and what they see as being a healthy diet for humans. And so that's where I think maybe we could start the, the discussion there, Bruno. Yeah, absolutely. And so if we look at what is the planetary health diet, you know, I'm just reading this off of the eatforum.org website. Um, yes. And they say the planetary health diet is a global reference diet for adults that it's symbolically represented by half a plate of fruits, vegetables and nuts. Now, I reckon we're going pretty well so far. We're yeah, okay with okay. that. I'm happy half with that. Half a plate yeah. of fruits, vegetables, nuts. We reckon we got the first half right. I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. The other half consists of primarily whole grains, yes. plant-based proteins, beans, mm-hmm. lentils, pulses, unsaturated plant oils. That one mm-hmm. just great. Um, modest, modest amounts of meat and dairy. Some added sugars and starchy vegetables. And then it says the diet is quite flexible and allows for adaptation to dietary needs, personal preferences, and cultural traditions. It says that vegan and vegetarian diets are two healthy options within the plant health diet but are personal choices. Mm. So interesting that it picks out those two because it does seem to have quite a bent in that direction, the whole report, doesn't it, Damo? Yeah, there's definitely a bias. Um, And look, you could could argue that – and if you look at, you know, I suppose, some of the, the statistics around growing animals and the impact that um, animals and agriculture has on the environment, on water drain, um, methane production, um, and so on and so on and so forth. So there's a few things that come out of this report that I think are interesting and good. So we, we agree that we should be having half a plate of uh, fruits, vegetables, and nuts. I think yep. that's great. And across the board, well, you mentioned before, you know, if we considered all of the different um, diets around the healthy diets, what would be consistent would be that recommendation. So all of the healthy diets would recommend that we eat more fruit, more vegetables, and more nuts and seeds. No doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. And, and um, I think they would also recommend that we have less uh, processed food, you know, less absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, more home-cooked food would yes. be the easiest way to say that, I reckon. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you, I mean, you could also get home cooked like or home like what is it, home like cooked food. Would that be what it's like? 
something like that. But you, you yeah. can you can get people that are creating very healthy dishes, um, and a company that used to do that, which is now you know going into receivership, which is very sh- very sad, was Thrive. They were doing a great um, job for that. I know. But um, I know. Yeah, sad, sad. But I mean, the the um, pressure to be put next door to a sushi shop or McDonald's or KFC um, in a food court and be you know, delivering $20 lunches versus $5 lunches um, because of food prices and food pressure. I think that's that, yeah. I mean, that's, quite, that's kind of where it went wrong. So then so do we go, okay, well, so then what then defines an unhealthy diet? So the assumption then um, in this particular report is that meat is bad. Um, and, and, and that's kind of prefaced in the last sentence of that um, paragraph where it says vegetarian and vegan diets are two healthy options within the planet health diet but are personal di- uh, personal choices so th- the movement towards vegetarian and vegan uh, kind of underpins it and this is almost like the um, the China study it's it's this kind of same information uh, being re- repeated there's some really great things that come out of this uh, report really great things one is that it highlights that we should reduce our animal consumption I'm all for that, Bredo. I'm all for that. I think that uh, we can probably be having more uh, meals that are vegetable-based. Um, I don't see there being a big problem with people eating vegetarian. Um, I see that if you were to – or even vegan meals, but to follow a vegan lifestyle I think is uh, a bit more health-challenging on your body and maybe uh, not – 100% safe for 100% of the population. So there are people out there, and we know this because we've seen it, uh, and we've read reports on it that benefit from eating um, animal-based products. So we're talking cheese, um, dairy, um, red meat, pork, fish, chicken, other types of birds, kangaroos, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Yep. So, eggs, so, eggs, eggs. Yep. Absolutely. So and yogurt and all of these sorts of things, uh, people can build a very healthy diet from. Whether or not we need to sit down to a 300-gram steak every single night uh, is is debatable. Do you know what I mean? So could, what the report then suggests is that meat consumption is reduced and the meat allocation or the animal-based protein allocation is restricted to about 100 grams uh, a day uh, for six days a week. And so there'll be a seventh day, which is going to be purely plant-based, um, which also would also then mean that um, 12 of the other meals in the week would also be plant-based only and solely and not have any other types of animal-based proteins in it, or at least um, fish, chicken, red meat, pork, and fish, chicken, red meat, pork. That's it. Oh, and eggs, because you can have eggs a couple of times a week. Yep. So it, it just it calls for a dramatic reduction in the consumption of animals. That's essentially what it's saying. So um, the, they've just said that animal-based stuff is not good for you if you're eating too much of it. Yeah. Well, in fact, if you read down where it says, why should I decrease my meat consumption, what it, sa- what it says is, current overconsumption of meat in Western diets is mm. a significant contributor to poor health and increases a person's risk of becoming overweight, obese, or developing certain non-communicable diseases. Um, now that's a big statement, Damo. Uh, and you know, we've seen recently there have been there have been a number of studies coming out criticising meat intake. Uh, but we will have also all seen um, the the summaries of those and, and the retorts to those suggesting that the quality 
wasn't necessarily there, especially the quality of the meat being consumed wasn't really accounted for. You know, there's a vast difference between having a Wendy's hot dog um, and having a delicious piece of organic grass-fed meat from your local butcher. You know, it's just not the same thing. And to do a study and to suggest that they are the same thing um, is either, I think, is either poor science or, or it's evidence of bias there, that, that you're wanting to find a result that you're looking for. Um, and so, you know, I, I just think it's worth bearing in mind that whilst there is some evidence there to suggest that meat may not be good for you, the quality of the studies isn't there. Um, and I don't think it's anywhere near as conclusive as that statement makes it out to be, um, mm. that we need to reduce our meat intake and, and to reduce it by such a significant amount. I mean, we t- you know, wh- one of the articles I said suggested that it was going to amount to approximately a 90% decrease in our meat consumption, which is huge, Damo, and, and a massive experiment. I don't think we really can say what that's going to do in terms of our health. And, and on with you, Damo. I, I think... You know, we really need to be focusing on getting those fruits and vegetables in it. And probably for many people, if they are getting half their plate with fruits and vegetables, it probably is going to decrease their meat consumption somewhat. And I'm okay with that. But I also think we need to be looking at our farming practices. We need to be looking at how we're producing the meat because I think there are, you know, the, the meat industry has a bit to answer for in terms of you know, what they've been doing in terms of degrading the land and um, you know, but but as you, you know, we've seen on the show before that it can be done better, um, and that when it's being done well, it doesn't have to be uh, such a devastating impact on our environment either. So so it's worth being mindful of. You know, look at people like Joel Salatin, you know, who has this, you know, his uh, what is it? I can't remember the name. Polyface Farms, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know that there are different approaches to con- producing meat that can be actually very kind to the environment as well. So. Once again, I, I just think there's been a very broad brush approach applied to both the health um, challenges of eating meat and also the environmental challenges of eating meat when I think we need to look more closely not just at whether we're consuming meat but how we're consuming meat and how we're farming meat, which I think is equally as important. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. And we've interviewed Alan Savory before and we've seen that uh, there's practices that can regenerate the land, um, moving cattle through different paddocks uh, in a particular way and having other animals follow um, other animals from paddock to paddock and so that they do different things to the land. Uh, and so there's that. Um, the Townsends uh, that, that came away to Ikaria with um, Marcus and I practiced that same style of um, sustainable farming and when you look at um, where their properties are boarded the other farmers have deserts and degraded land and drought and all and cattle that are starving and the Townsends don't have that in, in the same location in Australia up in the Northern Territory so we're talking about sustainable farming methods that just haven't been employed so yes absolutely we've got to look at that and we've got to uh, find a way that food that's really cheap at the moment, that's unhealthful, uh, should cop a massive tax. Like that should cop a massive tax. So much so that it funds the utilisation and purchase of the inexpensive food. That's what should be happening. So we should see that from farm to plate, the food that's fresh and best is very, very affordable. So we should be paying $40 a kilo for fish or for good quality steak or $50 a kilo, it should be much less than that. And a McDonald's burger shouldn't be coming in at under $5. It should be coming in at over 
over ten or fifteen dollars, so that it becomes ridiculously unaffordable to buy really bad food for you. That's that's what I'd like to you know posit as an argument because I don't believe that animal-based food is a uh, unhealthy uh, inclusion in in your lifestyle or in your diet, um, unless of course it's been absolutely processed and adulterated. Yeah, and it's such so interesting when you start having that debate around increasing the price of some of those unhealthy foods, Damo, because straight away you'll have people saying, well, you're you know, reducing my liberties, you're decreasing my personal choice and all these sort of things. But but I think you know if we looked at it purely from an economic perspective and said that um, you know we want to price these foods based on the cost that they contribute to our society, you know, we look at what we did with smoking where we said that smoking is unhealthy it's increasing the burden on our healthcare system. It is actually costing us money, so we're going to increase the taxes that we put on smoking to to counter that. Then I think the same argument could be made with food. But the challenge, of course, with that demo is then who gets to decide what is the healthy food and what's not? Because if it's the if it's the eat Lancet guys, our meat prices are going through the and roof. And eggs, now, I know, eggs and yogurt. Oh, I know, but yep. we also see this with the other things that are flawed. And so there's the star system, the health star system that's in Australia oh, yeah. that helps to educate people about what's a healthy meal. So my forage paleo mix, for example, comes in with about three stars. Uh, because of the quantity of fat. Um, Now, we're talking about a raw, uh, um, unprocessed, whole nut, whole seed, no grain um, snack with no added chocolate. Even even Eat Lancet would like your cereal demo. Even Eat Lancet would like it. (laughs) They would love it. They'd recommend it for breakfast every single day. However, um, in Australia, it gets given three stars um, because of the quantity of fat. And so there's a recommendation in this Eat Lancet um, guide that says more plant-based unsaturated fats. Now, I'm all for the inclusion of polyunsaturated fat in the diet. I think it's great. I think it's very, very good and very, very healthful only when it's raw, not when it's cooked. So omega-6, omega-3, omega-9, omega-12, all of those omega fatty acids are anti-inflammatory until heated. Omega-3 fatty acids are so good for the body. We know that it's unequivocal. We know that from fish oil that it's so good for you. It's maybe debatable uh, in terms of linseed oil or maybe soy uh, soybean oil um, as to whether or not they are as healthful. But omega-3 fatty acids from fish are unbelievable. It's, it's irrefutable in terms of how beneficial they are. But if you follow the uh, the science over the last few months, Studies have been coming out saying, oh, fish oil is not as good as what we thought it was. Um, then you've seen um, more stuff that's coming out saying, oh, fish may not be the wonder food that we always thought it was. And so it's kind of, you know, maybe there's been a bit of drip feeding of information to the media to eventually arrive at this particular Lancet um, Commission or Eat Lancet Commission report. But, uh, you know, I like raw plant-based fats coming into, into the diet, uh, but it should come from nuts and seeds and not necessarily from grains. Yes, well, that's what I was going to say. Because, I mean, if you look at, they really haven't put any sort of definition on that, what they mean when they talk about these oils. So, you know, are we talking about canola oil? Are we talking about sunflower oil? You know, which oils are we talking about, Damon? Because I think some of these oils really are not oils that we should be using and recommending for people. You know, they're, they're highly processed oils. You know, to, to get oil out of some of these things we're using to make oil is a very difficult process. It, it, it's not a natural oil, I don't think, for people to be consuming. So it, 
it seems to be a pretty broad brush to say, well, anything that's a plant-based oil is okay. Anything that is a meat-based or you know, other source of oil is not okay. Um, seems to be a, an interesting way to go here, Damon. And I'm just not sure that that's supported by the evidence. Well, I'd agree with you there, Brad, too. And the other thing is, too, that uh, do you remember when, again, it comes back to definitions, we interviewed somebody, um, and I'm not going to mention um, his or her name, um, but the interview that we did never made it to air. And yes. we, uh, we, made, we interviewed this uh, person about uh, fats and oils, and our hope with this particular um, interview was that as an authority in edible fats and oils, um, this person whom I know, and I really respect this person a lot and their opinion, um, we, we were having this discussion and we said, well, what's, what's one of the healthiest oils? And, or what's one of the best oils, I think was the question. And the answer was canola is the best oil for frying. Mm. And so it became apparent to me was that what uh, people are doing or scientists are doing is they're trying to find the best quality oil for an outcome. So we're trying to find the best quality oil for frying, not the best quality oil for health. And so then we tried to get out of you know this interview what would be the best oil for health. And it was very difficult to achieve because the assumption was that oil's only use was for cooking, not necessarily for consumption. And so yeah. that it all came back to the smoke point or the, the heat point or the flashpoint of the oil when the oil then becomes degraded. And so what was very clear there was that, um, you know, coconut oil isn't a very healthy oil for, you know, high temperature frying. Uh, but yeah. what we also learned was that um, the canola oil, which is a very high, highly processed and highly refined oil, is better for frying from an outcome perspective and possibly also maybe a health perspective. Um, however, we weren't looking for that information. We we're looking for could coconut oil be of benefit to the human body um, outside of frying? And the answer would be yes, because it could be for some people. But canola oil has no real benefit to anybody's body uh, because of the degree of refinement, um, you know, intervention to get it to where it is today. Same as rice bran oil. There's no health benefit to it. It's just a safer oil to fry with and we're trying to say yep. don't fry so there's biases built into the conversations and that's what both brett and i are trying to say here there's clearly a bias in this and i think they've done a great job but there's some big assumptions to that, that they've made in order to get to this point yeah and and this is the thing about science isn't it damo that you can have the absolute best science you can have the absolute best scientist you can have smartest people in the world but it all depends on what question they ask that they can only give you the answer to the question you ask and if the question you ask is biased as in this example you've used with the oils if the question you ask is biased then there is no way that the result you get can be not biased it's just the way it goes i mean we're talking about oils here, Damien. You've touched on omega-3. You've touched on fish. One of the things that absolutely stood out for me in terms of this study um, was the recommendation that you could only have 200 grams of fish a week. Uh, I mean, I've never seen I've never heard that. Um, never, a diet that, that recommended a reduction or a restriction in the amount of fish that you're consuming. Now, I can understand that maybe they've come at it from the, the point of view of the planet and overfishing, perhaps, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, but it seems like, I mean, Damo, you know, you've done work in Ikaria, in Greece. You're looking at these blue zones around the world. You know, 
fish seems to be a, a staple, you know, an important part of the diet for people who are living healthily and well beyond the age of 100. How can it be that we need to restrict that? I mean, what would your Ikorean friends say to you, Damo, if you said to them, restrict your fish intake to less than 200 grams per week? <laughs> well, the irony there is, Brett, that they probably could do it, the Ikoreans, because they don't eat a whole lot of fish. But I, I get exactly what you're saying. Well, you know, <laughs> maybe, you went, maybe if you ask the Okinawans, um, because their diets are quite rich in fish. But the one thing that underpins all of the cultures around the world that live a long time is that they they all eat heaps of fruits and vegetables and they're all seasonal, local, organic and whole. And I think that's what's really, really important. Uh, it, it, and this is potentially where the education is to go. Let's not say that meat, red meat is bad for you because that means that um, processed ham and spam is put in the same bundle as, you know, sustainably caught salmon or grass-fed beef or lamb or kangaroo where those meats and those um, animal-based proteins have been shown to be you know hugely beneficial for human consumption so you, you can't you can't put them both together you also can't say that um, egg replacement is the same as you know normal eggs and you can't say that a processed um you know what, what's it called tvp um, textured vegetarian protein is as good for you as uh, something that's absolutely pure and natural, you know, potentially like, you know, some organic chicken. You can't mm. say that. Like, it's, they're just, there's no proof yet. There's no uh, scientific rigor. There's no studies to prove that that is the case. And again, this comes back to, again, a philosophy. Um, and the philosophy in this study is to help the world, to help the planet. So the major. Uh, conclusions of the study are that we need to decrease our meat consumption. Brett and I agree. We agree with that. We need to increase our fruit and vegetable consumption. We agree. Absolutely. We need to make our diets healthier. Absolutely. We totally agree with that. However, we need to be careful with what we define as being healthy and unhealthy. And, and I think that's where this report kind of falls down. Well, you know, Damo, I'm looking forward to this week sitting down and really getting into the nitty-gritty of this report because I've just gotten to some of their uh, predictions. Uh, and what they've said here is that global uptake of the planetary health diet, however, can reduce approximately 11 million premature adult deaths annually, effectively contributing to a 19 to 23% overall reduction in premature mortalities per year. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that's been calculated, Damo, because that is an extraordinary claim for a diet. Um, and, you know, it, it may well be true because, you know, I, I kind of tend to think that if everyone in the world ate half a plate of fruits, vegetables and nuts, you would probably see those results, maybe even better results. You know, so, so that claim by, may well be true. Just by eating, yes. not by cutting the other stuff out, just by eating exactly. that part of the diet. Yeah, absolutely. That part of the diet may well uh re reach those sort of results i think um mm. but i'll be really curious to see you know how they've come to that number because it is an extraordinary number and extraordinary claim so it'd be very interesting to look at the research that's gone into that and, and how that's come about well brad let's pick this up this discussion up uh once we're a bit more learned ourselves and we will uh talk about this again next week but uh, hey great chat today buddy and um happy reading happy studying i'm going to get onto it as well uh there's a lot of information join in our conversation everybody Go to Facebook, tell us what you reckon, tell us what your thoughts are, let us know what you think we could be doing from a dietary perspective and whether or not you think the Eat Lancet Commission's uh, recommendations are good, bad or otherwise.
Thanks, Brett. Thanks for the chat today, mate. Good one, Damo. Enjoyed it a lot. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of The Wellness Guy Show. We hope you love the new feel. Remember to continue to interact with us and tell us what you thought of this and other episodes. Please head to facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Guys and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. This is the way that we get to share our message with the world. For more information about Bredo and all that he's up to, please head to drbredhill.com.au. And to find out more about me, head to damienchristoff.com. Until we meet again, continue to bring wellness into your life and we'll join you next time on The Wellness Guy Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.